Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast, a podcast that equips therapists to thrive in business, expand their reach, and create flourishing and meaningful lives, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Claire Blakey. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. I believe in being a multi-passionate therapist. You can have a thriving, financially impactful business, be a leader in the community, and also a business entrepreneur. You don't have to choose, and your impact as a clinician can go beyond the therapy room. I believe that you can be a therapist and an entrepreneur, a therapreneur, and I believe that every therapist deserves the tools, community, and resources to build thriving businesses and flourishing lives. I pair my passion and previous career in PR, marketing, and blogging with my education and experience as a clinician to equip therapists like you who are multi-passionate and wanting to pursue additional opportunities to grow your skill set and expand your reach. So what are we waiting for? Let's get going. Let's create impact and build flourishing lives and businesses we're proud of. Here we go. We go to Google for everything from recipes to answers to our most burning questions. But did you know that many people are also looking for therapists on Google? SEO or search engine optimization is the number one way many therapists get clients. And you can learn how to optimize your website for search engines too. This spring, I enrolled in Optimize Your Practice, Therapy SEO's signature group coaching program for therapists who want to learn SEO. Although SEO can get super technical and complicated, Christy Platinga, Therapy SEO's founder, made it super accessible, and I've already implemented things that I've learned in the program. So if you're tired of wondering where your next clients are coming from, Head to optimizeyourpractice.com slash waitlist to get more information about how learning SEO can transform your private practice. Hi, Austin, and welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast. So happy to have you here today. Do you want to take a minute and just introduce yourself to the audience so they know who you are and kind of what you specialize in and why you're here? No, Claire, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity and For those that are listening, my name is Austin Lampson. I'm with Homeowners Financial. I am a mortgage lender, and I have always said that my practice is really a balance between math and emotion. And so Mm. I've been in this industry for over two decades. I've seen a lot of change, and my passion is really to help people work the system because, you know the space that y'all balance is huge, right? And the space that we balance is huge and everyone's got to use their skill sets to help everyone else flourish in in life. So thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. I'm very excited. Yay. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. And for those of you that don't know, Austin is also based in Santa Barbara, California, which is where I live as well. Um, But she's licensed by state. So if you're anywhere in the state of California, Um, If you listen today and you're like, wow, like Austin's really speaking into things that I want to learn more about, you can reach out to her and she might be able to support you in your home buying or, you know, buying journey in general. So um, something to keep in mind. Um, And do you want to just kind of maybe share a little tiny bit? I know with the Flourishing Therapreneur, many people that are listening are either therapists or soon to be therapists. They might have a private practice. They might want to launch one and just are learning skills on how to 
to be a business owner, how to be an entrepreneur, maybe those things that we didn't learn in grad school because we learned how to diagnose and treat clients and mental health and didn't learn um, the business sides necessarily of having a business. Um, but could you kind of maybe speak into your own journey? So people have, I mean, obviously a, a little sneak peek, we can save that for a future episode of really deepening what it's like to be a woman and a business owner and build your reputation and all of that. But what has been your journey and how long have you been a business owner? And um, just a little sneak peek of that would be really fun. Oh yeah, for sure. So, you know, there's kind of two sides to it, right? And in my day-to-day -day world, I'm dealing with qualifying people for home loans and there's four building blocks, income, assets, credit, property, right? And so I'm looking at what are the decisions we've made in the past, what are our savings? What are our, our current endeavors? And how do we predict that for the future? Mm -hmm. And that's that's really from the the credit qualifying standpoint. But you know, the flip side is, and, and like you said, this would be a great other broadcast, just talking about entrepreneurship in general, because as an entrepreneur, we wear three hats. We are the technician that does the day-to-day -day work. We are the manager that has to do with billing and ordering and all the fun little pieces, you know, logistically. And then we're also the visionary. How do we want this to look? How do we want it to function? How do we want it to feel, right? And those hats that we balance all the time. And I'll tell you personally, my background is in uh, economics. My degree is in global economics. I fell in love with the idea that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Someone had to deliver it to you. They had to cook it. The supplies had to get to the restaurant. It had to get to the purveyor. It had to get from the farms, right? So there's such a downflow of not just economic cost, but human emotional impact and, and working together in collaboration to deliver something to what is in front of you today, right? And so those are different values. And how do we put that value around that time, that experience going forward? So my degree was in economics. I started in consumer finance when I was 18, people wow. borrowing against their cars that needed some short-term money. I did, I've done boat loans. I've done building loans. I've done just individual finance. And I shifted to mortgages in 2002. Okay. And that was a very different world then that was, um, stated income. It was loans that were super variable. And at that time I was an assistant for a large producer and I worked with her until 2007 when I went into operations. So for those of you that don't know, mortgages have two sides. We have the origination, which is the salespeople, the setup side, the get it through to closing. And we have the operations people that do all the double checking and can work after close from a servicing perspective or an audit perspective, right? So I moved from the sales assistant side okay. into the actual operations side. And I did underwriting, processing, disclosures, all these little pieces that go into a loan. So, so any single loan someone gets, yeah, at minimum, 15 humans are touching it at minimum. Wow. It doesn't oh, matter yeah. how deep the technology, at minimum, 15 humans are touching it. And typically, it's more like 50 to 60 humans, but at minimum. So it's a collaborative effort. And then I lived through the countrywide Bank of America takeover and the crash coming out the under end as an operations manager for Bank of America. I've done fraud audits for the FBI. I've seen a lot of stuff. So I really saw what opportunities people had, how were they taken advantage of, how did they manipulate the system? And I turned things around and said, gosh, there's got to be a better way. 
There's got to be a better way to help people. And so I became an originator in 2012. So a salesperson, so to speak, Mm -hmm. because people would say, my loan officer won't call me back and I don't know what's next. And I was like, that's absolutely horrendous. Bananas. We got to do something about this. So since then, I built my team literally from scratch doing zero. Last year, we helped 433 families. And uh, I am I am honored to say I've been in the top 200 of originators in America for nine years. Oh my gosh, and, awesome. that's incredible! Yeah, of 340,000 lenders in the country, I'm number 141. What? So, so it's it's about relationships. It's about asking the deeper questions. And my true passion again is helping people achieve their goals. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I love this opportunity, Claire. I mean, you and your husband are amazing humans, right? We talked about the balance. What do we need? And we talked about the structure, right? What are the decisions we're making as entrepreneurs that will affect us down the line, whether it's just for a mortgage, whether it's for financial literacy overall, and just to have that stability. Totally. Well, and I talk a lot when I am in doing consultations with therapists that want to like build their business and things like that. I talk a lot about making decisions your future self will thank you for. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this conversation really lends itself to that because maybe someone that's listening is really far off from buying a home. Like maybe they just, they just don't think that that's even anywhere close to their future but by listening to this conversation, they might get some tidbits or some tricks or some myths that have been debunked of really tangible things they can do now um, that will set them up to eventually qualify or have a better sense of even what goes into qualifying, especially as um, as someone that's self-employed and is their own boss. And I just can't wait to just break it all down because I feel like I know this conversation is really relevant for so many people listening it's also something deeply personal to me because I don't own a home yet. I live in Santa Barbara where the average home is pretty expensive. And that's one of my goals as a, a business owner. And one of the things I love about being a business owner is, you know, affording myself the opportunity to buy a home in Santa Barbara to be able to take those steps to really deepen my roots here. And so I feel like I'm going to get something great out of this conversation too, because that's very much where me and my husband are right now of taking conscious decisions and steps to save and to, um, to really make that dream possible. So maybe if you're okay with it, if you want to just kind of set the stage, what do you tend to notice um, with business owners when it comes to qualifying for a home? Do you have any kind of ground tips or where should we begin in this conversation? Oh yeah, definitely. And, and I got to say, I got to give you props for that. Cause that quote, do something today, your future self will thank you for is literally a quote that hangs in our office. What? So that as we <laughs> pass back and forth and we're walking, we see it every single day, every uh, single day, right? No way. We always have to be making the decisions today, not out of fear, not out of mm-hmm. constraint, but as aware we can of what we feel that future is for us, right? And we know life changes. What we're doing today is probably not what we thought exactly like it would look like a year ago, but that doesn't mean that we're on the wrong path or that we made the wrong decision. So I love this opportunity because I think some of the tips we're going to talk about are relevant, whether or not you want to buy a house tomorrow, whether or not you want to buy a house in the future, some of these tips are really going to help you from an IRS audit standpoint to keep your finances in line so that if something goes wrong in your E&O insurance doesn't cover it, people aren't going after you personally. So this is a true separation, right? Because as an entrepreneur, our business is us. 
Hmm. It is us. We are what fuels it, whether it's, whether it's our brand, our voice, our patterns, hmm. we are what fuels it. That said, our business liability and our personal liability and our business credit and our personal li- credit are different. That's why they have different words, right? So <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's call it what it is. Let's identify it. So yeah. Um, I thought we could go in some credit ideas, some budget okay. ideas. Yeah, let's do it. So as I mentioned before, there are four building blocks of a loan, and this is true for everything, for every single loan that's out there. And the building blocks are this income, assets, credit, property, or collateral. You can call it collateral, right? So in a mortgage, obviously our, our, we're looking at property, we're looking at real estate, right? But if you are, your collateral could be your business, say if it's an SBA loan, a small business administration loan, right? So income, let's break down income. Now income is what we take in. And when we look at the ability from a homeowner's perspective, it's what income can be used to service that mortgage debt, to service the property debt. So we're not talking about utilities. We're not talking about water. We're not talking about guarding. We're talking about those hard concrete costs. We're talking about the mortgage, taxes, insurance, if it is a townhome or a condominium or homeowners association dues, that's what we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? So what is the income available to service that debt? And what other personal debt appears? And this is, the, that'll segue into credit in a second, right? Yeah. So when we look at income, the traditional standard way and the way that is imposed by most lenders per the Dodd-Frank Act, which is what resulted after the crash and the federal government said, hey, y'all lenders are not cool. You need some parameters around this. Here's some parameters, mm-hmm. right? So the income side is typically what we're going to report on our tax returns. And if you're self-employed, it's typically a two-year history. And I keep using that word typically because there are instances where it can be one year. Maybe you were in practice and then uh, with someone else, and then you bought into the practice and now you've been self-employed for a year, but the practice has a history, Um, right? Okay. Yeah, maybe. um, And we see a lot of this for attorneys and CPAs where you are now a getting a a distribution from the company versus a W-2 from the company. Right. So when we talk about self-employment, we talk about income. We're again, traditionally looking to tax returns. And if you are a sole proprietor, an individual, you're filing what's called Schedule C on your 1040s on your federal personal tax return. Yeah. Okay. So if you look at schedule C and you can Google this format, but it's, it's your gross income Mm. minus your, your costs of production, right? What does it take for you to actually serve your clients to actually run this business? Yeah. And then it's your take home. Okay. Okay. So what's really cool about that is there's things that can be within there that you're taking deductions against but don't necessarily count against your income in the lending world. Oh, okay. So what would those be? Yeah. So those things are business use of home. Hey, I use part of our price. I got, I use one bedroom really as an office, right? Yeah. And that's where you're writing off business use of home, but that's essentially Mm -hmm. saying that business is helping pay that mortgage taxes, insurance, HOA dues that the lender's looking for qualification. 
Hmm. So I'm spending X amount of the business for this space in the home. It will continue yeah. to do so. So we're going to add that back. Okay. Is that the same if you're renting? Like I rent an office, would that be the same? Okay. Well, if you're renting an office, it, it's got to be where you live. So again, oh, we're talking okay. about residential loans where I'm spending X amount of the business towards my rent that I'm currently paying in the house in which I live. So if you rent a separate office space, that's separate space. Okay. Would there be value? How would that work? Like, so for example, I have an office downtown and I'm eventually this fall going to start taking on associates. So having people, other therapists that are doing their hours work under me, would there be value of me letting my associates use my rented space? And then I use the space at home to help me qualify more. Totally. Okay. So how would you document that? Would I have to like, like, what does that even logistically look like? Yep. So that's going to be rental income that you're going to be claiming on your schedule C. So there's two different things here, right? Right. It's the, you're getting rent for the public space that you're renting right now. So that's a, and then B you have uh, costs of that rent that you're paying out and then C what is you, what is your actual space in your home area, your home oh. space that's dedicated just to your business. Okay. Okay. So the income side of things, you can certainly put on the schedule C because it is income. You're getting it right. Yeah. So you're getting that in. So that's going to go in that income section, that top section Okay. of the income side of it. The, where the offset's going to be is again, that business use of home. So it's going to increase your income, AKA increasing your sales or increase the money mm-hmm. we're taking in, right? Mm-hmm. You're still going to have to pay rent yeah. for this commercial space, right? And then you now have a business use of home. So I'm going to throw numbers around it to make it easy, just yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. more palatable. So let's say you get $10,000 a year in in gross receipts and originally you made a hundred grand a year. Well, now you make 110, okay? A hundred from your business for your work, 10 from the rent. You still have the expense of the office space rent. I'm just gonna call it 5,000, okay, right? So now we went from 110 income to really 105 because we know that that costs 5,000, but- Maybe that portion of your home and the portion of home is really a percentage base. So if you have a thousand square foot, you know, space and a quarter of it you're using for business, then you're writing off 25% of what you're paying at home as business use of home. Right. So let's say that that's 10,000. So we started at 110,000. We dropped to 105 because it costs us five grand to rent our space. And then we're saying 10,000 of what I paid towards my home expense, my home rent, my home utilities, my home, everything Yeah, is really an offset. So then it kicked it right back up. Now we're actually at 115,000 for usable income. Wow. Okay. It's a very good tricksy way to do it. Yeah. Oh, I love this. Yeah. And what would, um, for anyone that's listening, if they're anything like me, I'm like following like what you're saying. And I feel like, oh my gosh, as soon as you're off this call, I'm going to be like, wait, how do I do that again? So yeah. would they then reach out to you? Would they reach out to a CPA? How would they make sure they're doing that correctly for the IRS and for taxes? I'm always going to tell you to reach out to your tax person, no matter what, right. Always going to tell you to do that. But the, the key is documenting what is used for what. 
And that's the key for anything with your self-employed. And again, we're going to, we're going to look at assets in the future, like in the rest of this future conversation, and we're going to look at credit as well, right? You, it's really that separation of what is for me as a personal human, what is for me as an entrepreneur and as a business person? Yeah. Right. So separating that. And I mentioned the, if you have a thousand square foot and you're using a quarter of it, it's really that space alignment. It's literally, I operate in a 10 by 10 room. Yeah. And that is this portion square footage wise of my entire apartment. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Well, maybe do you want to kind of break it down a little bit more? You were saying income and you were kind of like describing that piece. Is it time to transition to assets or is there more around? No, we got more girl. We got more. Right. So, so sticking on to, and I'm, and I, again, I'm going to stick to schedule C because there's, there's different types of self-employment. There's schedule C, which is that individual. There is a big corporation, like the way Mm Coca-Cola is that's owned by shareholders. And there's an S corp, which is owned by individuals, a sole proprietor corporation, right? A lot of doctors file S corps. And then you have LLCs, which are limited liability corporations or LLP, limited liability partnership. And that's a partnership return. So that's going to be more complicated as your needs grow, as your employees grow, as your liability may grow. But most of us are really going to start on the schedule C. So question real quick, just because I want to kind of apply it to what I'm going through as well. So right now, um, so I have two businesses. I have Thrive Therapy, which is my therapy practice. um, And that is a sole proprietor. And then I also have the Flourishing Therapreneur, which is a different business. And that's an LLC. So when it comes to sole proprietor, I was under the impression and obviously talk to your CPA, all that, but I would like to change to an S corp this year based off of the numbers that I'm making and I'm taking on associates. I want a little bit more just separation. So I feel like there's so many goals and so many things I'm thinking about right now, because I'm thinking about saving for a house. I'm thinking about expanding my business and all that different things. Is there a value in staying as a sole proprietor to qualify for a home? Or is there any value for me switching to S-Corp? Like, is, am I going to regret the S-Corp switch? Will that, like, help me understand those pieces? How does that impact? Great question. Yes, because we see it all the time. So from an underwriting perspective, from, again, those people that are doing all the audits and, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's, from an underwriting perspective, a tax return should represent a full year of self-employment. Okay. So if you've started your um, corporation at the end of the year and you had two, two months, it's choppy because they write off different things. And so instead of on a corporation, because a corporation doesn't use a home, right? A corporation is not an individual. Yeah. A corporation might have to pay rent to an individual. Okay. Yeah. Right. So your corporation would pay rent to you as an individual for that space in your personal home. Got it. Okay. Okay. And then you as an individual would declare that rent. Hmm. Now on schedule E of our tax return, schedule E is for rental properties, royalties. So when you write a book and you get money back as royalties, passive income. So you can still get income in the sense that you're using your personal space in the sense that, that it is for business, but it's hmm. going to be a different method- methodology. Okay. So in the situation I'm in, 
do you think it would make sense just to stay sole proprietor the rest of the year and in January switch to S Corp? Or do you think? Well, whenever you start that corporation is the date you need to start filing those taxes. Yeah. Okay. So if you incorporated today, yeah, you would need to do those taxes. Now, there are instances where you can file as an individual LLC, an individual mm-hmm. corporation still on a Schedule C. But yeah. honestly, I don't understand where it bridges and when it doesn't. I simply know that if you're a corporation today, that corporation needs to have something reporting with it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And it could be zero, right? You could claim all the income as an individual, right? It's an individual sole proprietor and not to the corporation, right? If the checks are still written to you as an individual versus the corporation name. Yeah. Oh, that's right? interesting. Yeah. So there could be some flow in there. So I want to stick to two other things on a sole proprietor that gives you credit towards qualifying real Perfect. quick. Yes. no. Uh, and the first one are, are the D's depletion and depreciation. Okay. And we really want to focus on depreciation because depletion, nobody ever has. I, I, like I said, I've done this in 20 for 24 years. I've seen depletion like twice. Okay. So depreciation is the idea that you bought something and mm. it is devalued over time. Okay. A car, a computer, it's a tangible object. It's a paper loss. Yeah. Right. You haven't sold it. You haven't, you know, mm-hmm. paid more for it. Yeah. But it's a paper loss and depreciation. And because it's a paper loss, it's added back to your income. Okay. Right. So we take yeah. that net income. We say, oh, there's depreciation for 10,000. Add another 10,000. Okay. Okay. And then the other thing to keep in mind on the ad side of it is business use of, uh, excuse me, business use of vehicle. So if you're driving your car and it's literally for business outside of a commute, Hmm. right? So you drive your car from the home to the office. That doesn't count. You drive it from the office to a patient's house, to a speaking engagement for traveling expenses. It does count. You get mileage credit page two of your schedule C, if anyone's really excited to look at that. (laughs) And there's a number every year, the IRS gives you back, you get 24 cents a mile, 17 cents a mile, whatever, but that's, that's an ad back. So again, our ad backs on a sole proprietor Mm -hmm. business use of home. This is your personal space. that's being used dedicated for business. Therefore your personal rent is dedicated for business depreciation. I bought something. It's not worth as much over time and mileage in addition to commute time. Now, where I'll give everyone a word of warning is meals and entertainment. Okay. Meals and entertainment are deducted again from the net. So you're hit twice for them. So it's super cool though. Like, Hey, let's go out and get some coffee. I'm buying it for everyone. I'm right off my tax. I'm like, great. That costs you more money. Okay. So would you say for someone that is, so in my case or anyone else that's in similar shoes that says, you know, I want to buy a house in the next couple of years, would you say, don't, you know, don't count those towards your taxes or don't, don't be super aggressive. Don't be super aggressive, right? Uh, It is what it is, right? Your expenses are your expenses and we want taxes to be accurate. We want income to be accurate, but just don't be like, you know, don't worry everyone. I'm going to pay it on my card and you can just get me a check later and I'll just write it off. Right. Don't be really aggressive. Just keep that in mind. What would you say? um, Maybe this is another question for another day, but like, is there a number you want to shoot for like a ratio, like percentage wise of like, um, cause I imagine some people like really just go all out with like treating people and things like that. But like, 
is there like a range you want to stick to that would be concerning or? I think the litmus test is really, is this meal going to move the needle and me generating more business and or a requirement for me to function my business? Okay. Right. Yeah. Or is it just a superfluous gift that's going to mm-hmm. go against my taxes? If it's B, meh, you kind of work in the system. Yeah. If it's it. A, then that, that is truly something. It is what it is. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Cause we yeah. all have to eat lunch, but we don't necessarily have to have a lunch for a hundred people. Totally. Right? Yeah. There's a difference. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that schedule C, you know, I, I, we mentioned corporations, corporations have depreciation, corporations have meal, meals and entertainment. They can pay rent. They don't necessarily have personal rent, right? Same thing for LLCs, all those ideas. The only uh, tidbit I'll give you in that corporation, the entity world, they're entities, right? They're not individuals, they're entities. Is there something called mortgages due and payable in less than one year? Hmm. The idea is that you say to the government, hey, I know I made a hundred grand. Yeah. Don't tax me on that 10,000 because I got to pay that money back before the end of the year. It's not really income. It's a requirement debt that has to be paid. Okay. And because it's that requirement debt has to be paid, it's deducted from your income. Oh. Okay. Yeah. You don't see that a lot in your world, but I'm okay. just going to throw it out there just in case because you never know. Yeah. You never know. So that's really that income box. Okay. That's kind of clear. And we'll move to some credit ideas. Yeah. Real quick, just yeah. as a question um, is there, and I know it's going to change based on where people live and the cost of homes and all of that. Um, I don't know, like, is there, maybe this is too broad of a question, but like, is there a number that, you know, you would recommend people's, you know, shooting for with their income or like, I imagine some people have income of all different ranges. Some people make 50,000 a year. Some people make a hundred thousand and some people make 200,000. Yeah. Is there like a, like for anyone that's listening, that's like, Hey, I don't think I'm going to qualify until I hit a certain number. Do you think that's true? Or do you think you can qualify at any number? It just depends where you live and it depends what you want. Like, are there tangible numbers that therapists should strive for or self-employed yeah. people should strive for? That's a great question. And this is a question I give to every realtor I work with, all new home buyers I work with. These are two general rules of thumb. Okay. The first one is called the rule of 45. Okay. Most loan programs can qualify within 45% debt to income ratio. And again, not everyone on this that's listening is a super math nerd like me. So what that means <laughs> is, is if you make $10,000 a month, mm. your documented debt, mortgage, taxes, insurance, whatever's on yeah. your personal credit report. And again, I said personal credit report, because we're going to talk about that in a second, Yeah. but your personal credit report is 45% of your income. So if you make $10,000 a month, you can have $4,500 a month in debt. Okay. Done. Right. So the next little tip and rule I'll give you is currently, and this number does change because rates change, Mm -hmm. but currently every hundred thousand dollars in real estate costs around 700 bucks a month. Okay. Okay. So we know what our car payments are. We know what our credit card minimum payments are. We know what our student loan payments are. And yes, even if they're in forbearance or deferment, we got to count them because loans are for 30 years and chances are we're going to pay that back, right? Yeah. (laughs) So we know what those numbers are. We know we have a $500 car payment. We know a hundred bucks in credit cards. So we know where those debts are. Hmm. So we can take our income times it by 0.45 
Yeah. Minus these. And that would give you how much debt you get for a mortgage, for real estate. Yeah. Divide that number by 700. That tells you about how much you'll actually qualify from a price perspective. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Right. Easy tricks. Yeah. Oh, this is the best. <laughs> yeah. Easy tricks. Yeah. So I mentioned this twice, so we're going to just pivot into credit. Okay. So I'm keeping my, uh, you know, I've got two screens. So, so for those that, you know, we're, we're on zoom. And so I can look at Claire and I can look at a screen for taxes, right? Yeah. And keep it all prompted. <laughs> so, so talking about credit now, I do have a YouTube channel. I have classes on credit that are great for anyone. There's classes on budgeting. There's a whole lot out there, right? And every Tuesday answer question from clients, but just talking about credit, it's really, really important to separate what is business debt and what is personal debt. Hmm. So the first thing that I recommend is that you get a credit card just for business and you can still use it for Amazon points or travel points or whatever you want, right? The points are your points. That's a reward, but you should use that credit card only for your business expenses, hmm. right? You should ideally pay that credit card only through a business account. Yeah. So you should have a checking account, maybe a savings account too, but a checking account just for business. All your income goes into that checking account. And all your business expenses are paid from that credit card or, um, checking account, including this credit card. Perfect. Okay. So that when we're going back and we just talked about our schedule C and our taxes. Mm. And one of the things on schedule C on taxes is car and truck expenses. Okay. So if Claire has that, you know, super cute Prius that is just for business that she only drives it to the office, to the events, to see clients and home again. It's just for business. And you have that payment hmm. on your credit report to Toyota, whoever Prius finances with currently, you write that off on your tax returns. And because we can show that's paid through your business checking account, that is deemed business debt and taken out of that qualification, taken out of that rule of four to five scenario. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Question. Maybe you've gotten this before. Maybe this is for us. Maybe, maybe this is not a good question, but something that I've always wondered is, can you, can you pay your student loans through your business account and write it off? Or probably not. Is that like really fraudulent? I, I don't actually know. I don't okay. actually know. You know, I I've seen people do it. You can pay off accreditations and certifications. Like I've continuing education, right? So I have to pay that. And that's, um, do, 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 do. that would be under taxes and licensing line 23. Okay. Because another question I have, and sorry, I have so many, and I feel like we're going to have to have you come back real soon because there's so much more to talk about. But um, another thought I had is, so I have my master's in clinical psychology, but one of my goals is to go back and get my PhD or PsyD to become a doctor in clinical psychology. So in that case, could I pay for my future PhD with my business account and have it as a business write-off as kind of like a CE continuing education, because technically it's furthering my business. Technically. I'm going to say probably yes, because it, it's definitely a CPA question. It's definitely a CPA question, but think about this, you know, companies pay for employees to go back to school companies pay for, yeah, they ain't going to do it because it's free. We all know that, you know, right? right? So there should be a way. Uh, I, I can't tell you all of it, obviously, but if we're able to write off what our licensing costs, what our continued education costs are, 
I would think it falls within that bucket. Again, boop, 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 Astro CPA. There's that asterisk there. Yeah, totally. Okay. This is like, I'm just loving this conversation. I feel like there's, I have so many more questions for you and I know you're still going through the spiel of like credit and all that, but this is just so exciting to have like a real life live conversation because when I talk to other therapists, so many of us are just like clueless about, you know, these kind of questions. And so it's nice to actually talk to someone that gets it and has the answers and is so organized and empowering. So thank you. No, for sure. For sure. And that's, again, this is where I started the YouTube channel because there's so much that people like, how do you read your paycheck to actually establish the budget? Like no one teaches anyone that, but I can tell you how to do it. Right. Cause we had to do it every day backwards. So, yeah. So (laughs) sticking to this idea of your credit report and separating business debt, we first use the example of a car. There's the example of a business loan, right? So if you get an SBA loan or you get a a loan to expand your business, yeah. you know, here on the central coast, of course, we had those horrible mudslides years ago. And there were many banks that gave companies and gave uh, entrepreneurs, here's some money to rebuild. That's business debt, right? Uh, so make sure if it is business debt that you're paying it from a business checking account. Okay. And as long as you have a 12 month history Hmm. And you're not making late payments. So just set it up on auto pay friends. Right? <laughs> and you're not making late payments that can be excluded from qualifying. And a reason I bring that up again is not just from the mortgage perspective, but this makes your life so much cleaner. If you ever get audited, if you ever have to apply for a business loan, because, you know, we're talking about residential mortgages. We hmm. know that some people may want to buy a commercial building for their business, right? Yeah. That's one of my goals. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is where it's going to help to show this is really the business cash flow. And the other reason I'm going to tell you to do that is because again, I started from a tax return qualification for income. There are bank statement loans as well. And a bank statement loan says, Hey, y'all can write off a lot more of the taxes than we know may or may not just be, you know, schedule C related, we'll say. So a bank statement loan looks to three, six, 12, 24 months, there's different programs of the net deposits and the functionality of what your business has to do, right? So if you're a a therapist, you don't have a lot of supplies, right? Tissues and pens, right? You know, yeah. uh, that's a different cost than you're making widgets and you have to buy machinery, right? So there's different flows against the deposit and outgoing. Mm. So- On our business bank statements, we want to make sure we're paying everything from the business. If it's therefore reporting on our personal credit report and we have a year and payments remain on time and we're writing it off on our taxes, car and truck expenses, right? You know, fees, like we know on our credit cards, we we cost supplies, office expansions, right? Leases sometimes do it. All those things that you're writing off in your taxes, we're associated with that debt. And we're saying that's not Claire's debt. That's the business's debt and we're taking it out of the equation. Okay. Awesome. This is so exciting. Um, well, I know our time is starting to wrap up and I feel like there's still so much to cover. So like I said, you're going to have to come back and deepen it and continue the conversation. But for the listeners that are tuning in today, I'm wondering, is there anything as we leave this conversation, like any actionable items, any Like, as we talked about at the beginning, like, what is something that your future self will thank you for and making decisions like that for, you know, eventually qualifying or taking steps? Are there a couple takeaways or things that they can just begin today in terms of 
getting better at their budget, you know, being more mindful of their credit and their expenses. Yes, definitely. So we talked a little bit about separation between personal and business. So if you do not have a business checking account, please, 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 please get off, stop, drop and roll. That's the first thing you should do. And then again, get a separate business credit card. So that's going to show that business history. And that's that again, that's good from the mortgage standpoint. It's also good for your business standpoint if your business needs debt down the line to expand, right? Yeah. So those are number one. Number two is we use that rule of 45s from a qualification perspective, but we also said a hundred thousand dollars in real estate costs around 700 bucks a month. Yeah. So as you're looking at homes in the area, as you're looking at properties and you're saying that would be nice, take that price tag, right? 100 grand, 700 bucks. What is that monthly payment? And pretend like you have to make that payment each month. That is advice I give to every single person, period. Whether you're a homeowner, trying to be a homeowner or business owner, pretend like you have to make that payment. Okay. Right. What yeah. does that feel for you? And I would advise then to start a separate savings account that you throw the difference in. So if your rent's $2,000, and we did our you know, rule of 700 calculation, and we said that that's going to be $2,400, right? Yeah. There's a $400 delta, right? So we pay our rent for $2,000, and we say that $400 to get to that $2,400 feeling of the house expense we want, that's the $400 you put in a savings account. Perfect. Okay. Right? Yeah. That's going to help you continuously save over time, right? Amazing. Yeah. Well, I have so many more questions because I want to know too, like, okay, what kind of savings account are there ones that can accelerate the savings process, but we might just have to save that for later because I'm sure we'll be back. There's more to come. But I'm wondering for anyone that's listening. Um, I know for me personally, this has been such an encouraging conversation. It's so helpful to learn from your expertise, to kind of make this more of a real idea instead of it feeling so far off and really having these tangible breakdowns and steps. But I'm wondering for anyone listening, like how can they connect with you? I know you mentioned throughout the episode that you have a YouTube channel that you share Tuesday tips, like help us just kind of have a sense and I'll include all of the links in the show notes so people can instantly just access it. Um, But how can they learn more from you? Yeah. So again, my name is Austin Lampson. So Austin, just like Texas, Lampson, L-A-M as in Mary, P as in Paul, S-O-N. My website is austinlampson.com. And my YouTube channel is Austin Lampson. So if you go to YouTube and do Austin Lampson, you will find me. I will be there in my nerdy little self with my goofy little glasses, just rattling things off. That's the way to connect to me. Um, You can always get a hold of me. We can text to the office. You can call the office. Our office line is 805 869-7100. Again, 805-869-7100. And my email is austin at austinlamson.com. So basically, if you throw my name out there, it's going to be bad. It's going to be a thing. It's going to be great, right? So Yeah. yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Austin, for joining us today. I know I feel so encouraged. I'm imagining the audience does too. And looking forward to having you back to continue to deepen what steps to take as a business owner that wants to qualify for a home or eventually buy a home, but also would love to have you back just to deepen what it's like to be a business owner and a woman and building your reputation in a community. And like you said, was it 140, 141, no, 114, I'm 114. 
<laughs> what? Okay, even better. So 114, what it is to be at the top of your um, industry and to, you know, build that business reputation, but also what goes into, like we talk about a lot with the flourishing therapeneur, taking care of yourself and not just reaching a success financially or, you know, with your business community, but also what it looks like to take care of yourself in that process. And I know even before we hit record, you're like, I did yoga this morning. I'm going to do a massage later. I'm like, wow, you really got this going. So <laughs> love to learn more from you as well, because that's such a big piece of sustainability as a business owner as well. It really so. is. We pour ourselves into it. So we got to make sure that we're pouring into ourselves as well. So yeah. I'm so honored, Claire. I think you guys are the best and just Aww. very grateful for the time and opportunity to share. All right. Thank you so much, Austin. Bye. So you want to launch a private practice, but you don't know where to begin. Well, you are in luck. Our signature course, Flourishing in Private Practice, is coming October 2022. This 12-hour self-paced course is perfect if you are a pre-licensed student, trainee, associate, or even a licensed therapist that is wanting to learn more about strengthening your private practice or curious to take the leap from agency to being your own boss. This course will walk you through all the steps from the basics of setting up your business structure, creating your brand, building your reputation in the field, and strengthening your systems to help your business flourish. This course is filled to the brim with tangible examples, templates, and structure to help your business thrive and for you to grow and flourish personally and professionally. If this is you and you are wanting in, go to our website at theflourishingtherapreneur.com to join our waitlist to be the first to know when the doors open. We also have a free download on our website called 10 Steps to Starting a Private Practice, and it's available for you today. So if you're wanting to get started sooner or dip your feet into the idea, don't wait another moment. Thank you for tuning in to the Flourishing Therapreneur podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as that helps other clinicians and therapreneurs find our community and thrive through our offerings. Want to take your business a step further? Visit theflourishingtherapreneur.com or our Instagram with the same handle. Connect with our free community or sign up for an upcoming course to help cultivate your thriving business and endeavors so you can flourish personally and professionally. Until next time, I'm your host, Claire Blakey, and I believe you deserve to flourish as a therapreneur.